Outland sucks. And I mean that in the in-universe sense. Drained of its resources, it's a bunch of splintered rocks all floating out in the most dangerous reaches of the known galaxy where just about anyone can come and go as they please. In other words, it's just like the side entrance hallway of my house where we keep the laundry machines. You wouldn't want to go in there unless you absolutely had to, and you want back out just as quick. But as we all painfully experienced in Warlords of Draenor, the world of Outland was at one point a beautiful, verdant planet teeming with life. Called the Sunstone by the Arakoa, the Known Earth by the Ogres, and that place I'm going to corrupt and ruin forever by Gul'dan, Draenor in many ways is a mirror of Azeroth showing what could potentially happen to the planet if any of the evil schemes and doomsdays of the past would have been seen through to their conclusion. But Draenor lacked one thing that Azeroth did not. Murlocs. I mean, heroes. People willing to inspire others and make the needed sacrifices for the common good. Which isn't to say that the orcs or any of the other native races of Draenor couldn't do that or didn't have heroes. We've seen time and again how the orcish people are brave to a fault and courageous and have done the right thing when called for. However, Draenor lacked the needed defenses that the likes of Azeroth had to withstand the schemings of a burning legion using a blueprint it has deployed time and again across countless planets and galaxies. And quite honestly, the fact that there's even anything left of Draenor at all, even a broken husk like Outland, is a minor miracle. The spell by Ner'zhul deployed to escape the Burning Legion cracked the literal realities of Draenor, dooming not only the planet, but himself in the process. But if you aren't a fan of the novels and extended universe fiction of Warcraft like I am, then you probably don't know all that much about how Draenor came to be, and, more importantly, how it went badly so fast. It's also a story of nuance. The orcs absolutely had a good reason to want to get off Draenor at a point, even if it was a prison of their own making. However, being used by Gul'dan and the Legion ensured that the Orc race would have to go through a number of trials and tribulations before they would ever see their promised land out in Durotar. So, today on Essence of Azeroth, we're going to talk about the origins of the planet Draenor, its various races, and what events kicked off the First War and caused the Orcs to hop into a portal to the unknown and lead to their eventual doom and the doom of their world. This is Essence of Azeroth. Promotional consideration is brought to you by the following Patreon subscribers. Brooke, Aaron, Tastyphone, Rice, Orion, Daniel, Jeff, Josh, Kelly, Otto, Melissa, and Bergen. Consider giving monthly to the podcast so that you can get access to the Discord. Our Horde and soon-to-be cross-faction guild on Asgalore come 10.1, and access to bonus episodes like the one from this very past week where I talked about the lore of the next few patch updates in Dragonflight. Head over to www.patreon.com forward slash Azeroth podcast for more info. And now... A word from Kalimdor Public Radio.
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The following content does not necessarily reflect or represent the views of Calumdor Public Radio. <sighs> You've got clear skies all across Kalimdor here at the top of the hour, and welcome back to Hour 6 of the Tome of Clarity. Ordoff here, once again coming to you from the pristine molten fields of Ragefire Chasm, deep down beneath our quote-unquote beloved orc capital of Orgrimmar. That's right, the prodigal orc has returned home. We've cleaned up all those charred bits of blood elf that someone left in my studio. Like that, Red Rose. Now, I don't mean to sound insensitive, ladies and gentlemen, but the Horde used to stand for something. Honor. Blood. Murdering your space goat neighbors simply because you got tired of them praying all the time. These were the beliefs of the first and true Horde. No cowmen, zero pretty boy blood elves, and definitely no zombie humans crying all day because their capital city is a literal biohazard. And I would know. I was part of the original Horde. Yes, gentle listener, that's correct. Your brave leader, Gordoth, was part of that first scouting party that ventured from beloved, beautiful Draenor, went through the Dark Portal, and began the war against humanity. Oh, I fought brave. Pink-skinned savages were all around us, and we fought tusk and nail for our Horde. Alas, even the bravest orc in existence couldn't all survive the terror. And I stood only one left in my platoon. And so I went into hiding, hoping that one day my clan would return and acknowledge my bravery, excellence, and honor. Um, pardon me, General, but you've got a call on line one. Oh, 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 a caller? This is a first. They must want to know more about my exploits against humanity. <laughs> Go ahead, caller. You're on the Tome of Clarity. Yes, Zug Zug. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm listening via Radio Free Outland, and I I love the show, but I'm confused. You said Draenor was beautiful? You sure? Didn't everyone leave because all wildlife was dead and planet exploded? Okay, bye. Um, well, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Textual. I was crushed to have to leave a planet, but someone had to stand up for a brighter tomorrow, and it wasn't going to be that coward Duratin. <clears throat> Excuse me. Lines 2 through 20 are also on hold. Um, okay, great. It's a busy day here in the studio. <laughs> uh, go ahead, caller. Give me some truth bombs. Gary! You coward! I knew I'd find you eventually! Oh, uh, friend? Is that really you? I thought you, uh, died. That's War Chief to you, Gary! And what is this garbage about you being the only survivor? 
You didn't even fight a single human! You saw a human child playing with a puppy out in Westfall, peed yourself, and hid in a cave for the entirety of the First War! That wasn't a puppy! The things were huge! <coughs> oh, uh, wow. It, uh, looks like we're out of time for today. Thanks again for all the dedicated callers, but I really must be going. All this talk about Draenor is giving me flashbacks to the war, and I really just need some time to myself. This was the Tome of Clarity. Stay tuned for the Torrin Funk Power Hour. Coming up next. It wasn't a puppy! At the risk of summoning a certain space god slash co-host who spent way too much time hanging around my last episode... The story of Draenor does start with the Titans. Or specifically, one Titan. Agrimar, the Avenger, former first lieutenant to Sargeras, and a soul in a bit of a personal crisis after his mentor and friend turned their back on the Pantheon and struck out on a burning crusade against all life. Now, think about all the times you've ever been lied to, hurt, or backstabbed by somebody close. It sucks. It leaves you questioning just about everything you do. Now, how bad does it hurt when one immortal space god turns their back on another and essentially says, hey, that whole life thing we were sworn to protect? Big mistake. I'ma go fix that. Agrimar was lost, scouring the cosmos for answers, while also taking up the job Sargeras left behind of fighting the demonic presence in the Twisting Nether and looking for more world souls to save. And then he found Draenor, a planet. A planet without a titan soul. However, what it lacked in its ability to become another titan, it made up for being a planet with an impressive and dangerous amount of the fifth element of life, spirit. We talked about spirit a couple episodes back, called Key by the Pandaren, and is the life energy that brings forth life itself, and when removed, can send the other four elements into chaos. In the case of Draenor, it had an extreme amount of spirit, with its surface absolutely dominated by a single organism, a plant hive mind made up of creatures called spore mounds, which in turn came together into one singular entity the Evergrowth. Agrimar saw this and grew concerned because this Evergrowth was an all-consuming predator in and of itself. No other living life could mature and evolve as long as the Evergrowth was there to consume it. Worse yet, this would eventually lead to disaster as the Evergrowth was also slurping up Draenor's spirit energy bit by bit. If left unchecked, it would eventually drink the planet dry and lead to its own destruction. Looking to save something for once, and after a long string of L's, Agrimar intervened as best as he could. Having seen the results of what happened when a Titan tries to directly interact with a planet once before, and in this I mean the time that a Titan tried to pull the old god Yasarj right off of Azeroth and instead ripped a hole into the planet that became the Maelstrom, he instead created a mighty servant in his image made from the very mountains of Draenor. Thus was born Grond, 
the first giant and the progenitor of the Gron, the Ogres, and the Orcs. And Agrimar was pleased with his work, but would never see it through to its conclusion. At this point, Agrimar leaves and is called back to the seat of the Pantheon for what will be the Titans' confrontation with Sargeras and the destruction of the Pantheon's physical bodies. Agrimar would never see the end results of his attempt to save Draenor. Which might be for the best, because he may have been disappointed with the results in multiple ways. The great colossal Grand took to battling the largest of the spore mounds that made up the Evergrowth. The beasts known as Zang, Nanu, and Botan. Over the course of millennia, Grand would find victory against Zang and Nanu, throwing their corpses down and leading to the creation of the Zangar Sea and the Tanan Jungle. However, as Meatloaf once sang, and is proven wrong here, two out of three ain't bad. You thought I was going to sing that, didn't you? Uh, not this time. That's, that's a Patreon uh, bonus. <laughs> and in the case of Grand, he eventually fell in battle to the final spore mound, collapsing into the terrain with his body forming the mountains of Nagrand. With this came the rise of the elemental spirits of Draenor, and Gron's skull formed the throne of the elements. However, the day was won. The Evergrowth was mostly crippled at this point. And at this point, we're in for a lot of begetting, similar to the Bible. Grand begat the Magnaron, who, upon defeating Botan and leading to the creation of the zone that would eventually be Netherstorm, also fell and begat the Gron, who begat the Ogron, who begat the Ogres, who begat the Orcs, who begat the Half-Orcs when they eventually found Azeroth. So, yes, if you didn't know it before, you do now. The Orcs are the long-distant descendants and relatives to the Ogres and the Gron. And none of them got along. Just like my family. But, you know, with less screaming. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Warlords of Draenor did a really great job at confusing everyone. Showcased as an alternate Draenor, the expansion was an attempt at showing the old world to fans who knew nothing about Warcraft and pre-Warcraft lore. However, those differences between the actual Draenor and the splintered Draenor also led to just enough changes that it mucked up the works. For instance, the Magnaron, the first colossal children of Grand brutish monsters, and walked across the face of Draenor, eating and destroying everything in their path, including other Magnaron. In the main timeline, the Magnaron are eventually hunted to extinction by the first Orcish Horde. However, in the Warlords of Draenor timeline, the Magnaron become beasts of burden used to create the massive Blackrock Foundry. 
in general, this is one of the reasons I really hated Warlords of Draenor, though if we're being honest, there are many, and everyone seems to have a different reason. You could do anything with this new alternate version of Outland slash Draenor, and the sole total use of the Gron and the Ogres were as generic bad guys. In the case of the most famous Gron, Gruul the Dragonslayer, he's relegated to a single lame boss fight. Oh, and I guess he's got a hook or a hand. Ugh, still makes me mad. But, like I said, we're talking about the main timeline Draenor, and in that reality, the Magnaron were essentially too big to exist. They first whittled down their population by themselves, as one Magnaron would fight another to the death if they wandered into the same territory, which happened all the time. Eventually, they were chased off and hunted by their own descendants, the slightly smaller, slightly more intelligent Gron. If you've spent any time playing Burning Crusade, then you already know what these massive, one-eyed brutes are all about, mainly stomping around various areas in the Burning Crusade and killing you in one hit. However, the Gron were clearly smart enough to stay out of one another's territory and somewhat keep the peace. At this point, the Gron and their offspring, the Ogron, are the prime hunters and top of the food chain, leading to the eventual complete death of the Overgrowth and their descendants, the Genosaur. Looking somewhat like the centaurs of Azeroth, the Genosaur would eventually be hunted to full extinction by the old horde like their rivals, the Magnaron. And this eating of the past generation would continue until the rise of the Ogres. Relatively dumb by Azerothian standards, but still smarter than the Gron and the Ogron, they formed culture and societies, with the Ogre race coming to a conclusion. But they were actually the first race on Draenor, and created by the Titans directly. And guess what? There was nobody around to tell them otherwise. However, as we know, this was wrong on two accounts. First, the Ogres spawned from the now-dwindling Ogron. Two, now that the Evergrowth was no longer drinking Draenor dry, say that three times fast, it allowed for the spirit energy of the planet to form and create new life, which included the three primal bird gods, known as the Iraq, the graceful Rukmar, the sinister serpent Seath. God, say that three times fast, too. All right, we're going to stop here, actually. We're going to try this. Okay. Drinking Draenor Dry, drinking Draenor Dry, drinking Draenor Dry. Sinister serpent Seath, sinister serpent Seath, sinister serpent Seath. Ha-ha. Excellent. And the dread raven god Anzu. All of those names should be somewhat familiar if you've spent any time in Outland. The Arakoa race was created by Rukmar, high atop the highest peak in Gorgond, and eventually corrupted by a shadow docket of their own people, the Sethic, because their god Seath was jealous of their sister. And if that sounds familiar, you've seen places like Sethic, Sethic Hollow, and the Sethic Halls down in Akendun. The followers of Anzu, meanwhile, found ways to combine arcane light and shadow power channeling the energy of the Void. That sure is coming up a lot lately, isn't it? Now, you could make an argument that the Arakoa were some of the first priests, and certainly the first shadow priests. All in one society, you had aspects of light and dark working together. However, as with most things, it wouldn't last, as civil war and infighting eventually led to the complete destruction and desecration of the spires and the downfall of the Arakoa as the prime society on Draenor which is to say it didn't last long. 
But from their fall came the rise of the Gorian tribe, the first structured society of ogres. These ogres were taught the power of the arcane by the remnant Arakoan priests, and found that, much like how humans quickly picked up magic from the Blood Elves, the ogres too were exceptional at the craft. This led to the ogre tribes seeking out and utilizing the Apexis Shards, containers of magical energy left by former Arakoans and ex exponentially increasing the ogres' magical abilities. So much so that some ogres were born with two heads, not only seen as a sign of good luck in ogre culture, but leading to incredibly powerful mages. This includes, famously, Cho'Gall. This led to the ogres breaking their bondage from the Ogron, splitting off and forming the first Gorian Empire, and the near-total elimination of the Gron and Ogron. Once more, life found a way, and this led to more life taking root, including the orcs, who had their beginnings hiding underground to avoid the enslavement suffered by the ogres. It was around that time that the orcs emerged in Nagrand and began a distant and somewhat peaceful existence until the Gorian Empire encroached upon orcish land and attempted to take over the throne of the elements and power for themselves. This kicks off a long-standing civil war between Ogre and Orc, eventually ended when the Orcish shamans used their power to starve out the Gorian civilization, because at the time, where Goria was located was, or at least not Goria, but as we talk about later, the, uh, the prime area where most of the Ogres were located uh, was a port city. It was located off, off the water. And guess who has control of the water in Draenor? That's right, the shamans. But given that, the orcs still paid a high price. The ogres spread a magical pandemic among the orcs called the Red Pox, killing thousands of orcs. And this led to a siege on the city of Goria, with the orc shamans beseeching the elements to destroy their enemies, a thing they have never done before at this point. And so it happened. The city of Goria was raised by the Elemental Furies, swallowing it into the earth and killing hundreds of thousands of ogres. The orcs now rule Draenor. However, it wouldn't be long until they were joined by visitors from another world and doomed themselves to enslavement, as well as the destruction of their planet. We started the season by talking about the exodus of the Draenei via the ship Genadar from their home planet of Argus. This is important because in many ways, the Draenei and their mere crash landing arrival on Draenor is kind of what dooms the orcs, the planet, and everyone in between. 200 years before the Dark Portal opened, the Draenei spaceship had a critical meltdown and crash landed in what would later be the Tarokar Forest i.e. Akandu. Now, this is important for two reasons. First, the crash actually was due to engine failures stemming from the overuse of a Naru on board who was being used to fuel the journey. And as we know, when a Naru uses up all of its holy power, it becomes corrupted and turns into a dark void, much like the Muru boss fight at the Sunwell. This corrupted Naru would circle the skies around Shadowmoon Valley from then on, worshipped by the local orc shamans as the Dark Star, and leading to the rise of the Shadowmoon clan and Draenor's first necromancers. Second, 
This massive influx of dark energy alerted a tracker sent by the Burning Legion that had been following the Drain Eyes journey across the Twisting Nether, just always a few steps behind. Now fully aware of where the Draenei were, Archimon began the steps to do what he did best, corrupt a planet from the inside out, and in the process kickstart Sargeras' plan to create an invading army to weaken Azeroth for the Burning Legion. The Draenei were not overly welcome upon first blush onto Draenor. Establishing a new capital city called Shatrath on the bones of where the ogre capital of Goria once stood, the holy space goats used their superior technology to immediately make a statement to the quote-unquote primitive races of Draenor. Don't mess with us and we won't vaporize you. A clan of ogres learned this the hard way. Angered by someone settling on top of their former home of Goria, they attempted a siege on Satra Shatrath only to be met by arcane-powered armor and Holy Wrath, which, you should understand, was an extreme countermeasure because the Draenei were still pacifists. They didn't want to hurt anybody, but they were going to defend their own. They had been through too many places and been forced to run too many times at this point to not defend what was theirs. And this starts a tense but respected relationship between the Draenei and the Orc tribes, though most notably the ones in Nagrand. Both were weary of one another, but through trade and occasionally helping the other out, both races learned that they had more in common than not. This includes the time that two young orcs named Durotan and Gramash got lost in the woods around Shatrath and were saved by a Draenei patrol and safely returned home. But, as with most things, nothing good can last forever. Archimon had set his sights on Draenor, destroying the refugees from Argus and creating a bloodthirsty army for Sargeras. He just needed a pawn, someone to slowly and silently earn the respect of the orc tribes. He found that rube in Gul'dan, a frail, sickly orc who was made an outcast by his tribe in Nagrand and forced to wander. Always alone, Gul'dan wanted nothing more than the power to make all around him suffer and to never be made to feel low ever again. He was given that chance by Archimond, taught fell magic, and became the first true warlock in the process. However, revenge would come slowly. Some would say too slowly for Gul'dan, which is what eventually leads to his downfall. However, he was the first to begin consolidating power within the orc hierarchy and he starts with the Shadow Moon clan and a shaman named Ner'zhul, convincing the old orc to take Gul'dan on as a shaman apprentice, but not knowing his agenda. We're not going to detail the full story of the orc's downfall via Gul'dan here. For one, that's probably a future episode. But two, it's one we've kind of talked about in bits and bobs throughout this season, so if you really want to know more, then I always recommend the WoW Chronicles Volume 2 book, which literally just covers all of this. However, we do care about the destruction of Draenor and how we get from there to the Outlands, and there's two key events that lead to this. First, the corruption of the elements. You see, in order for Godan to win over the orcs, he had to make them believe that the world and literal elements had turned against the orcish people. Only if things had gotten so awful at home would the orc warchiefs ever all agree to join together for an invading force somewhere else. 
The first step in this process was teaching the Shadow Moon clan fell magic on top of their necromancy, creating the Shadow Cancel and the first fleet of warlocks. The spreading of fell magic in general became commonplace throughout the orc tribes, and even the ogres. Not only did this give them significant power, but it had the added side effect of poisoning the environment with a fell aura. Wildlife died, the Everbloom shriveled away for good, and once bountiful game and hunting went extinct overnight. This full conversion finally took place in Shadowmoon, on top of its tallest mountain where Gul'dan began to channel the power of the Dark Star, the corrupted Naru floating above as an energy source for an invocation to open the Dark Portal to Azeroth. This caused the land to explode and erupt in fell magic, with rivers and lakes turning into green magma and mountains exploding everywhere. The largest volcano in the area and where Gul'dan did the spell is now referred to as the Hand of Gul'dan, and the elements left the orc tribes behind, with shamans no longer able to hear the call. However, the true shattering of Draenor would come at the hands of Ner'zhul, shame of the orcs, future Lich King, the one who let the devil in. Convinced by what he thought were the whispers of his dead mate, Ner'zhul followed Gul'dan's plans for corruption and invasion against his better judgment. It was only after discovering he had been tricked by the Burning Legion and made an outcast by his clan for turning the elemental furies against the orc tribes. Painting the white skull of an outcast on his face, Ner'zhul was soon captured by the Shadow Council and forced to watch everything he held dear melted down for scrap by the new Horde War Machine. Things didn't go as planned, though, for anybody. The orcish invasion of Azeroth was not only turned away, but the Alliance now went on the offensive, and sent an invading force of their own to end the orcs once and for all. Attempting to save his people, Ner'zhul tapped into the magics once used to open the Dark Portal, and just started opening gateways everywhere and anywhere, desperately hoping to find a place for the orcs to call home. It failed miserably. He couldn't control it, and in the process shattered Draenor. Suddenly there are portals to every witch land, and the very land of Draenor now Outland is tainted with arcane energy and broken apart. Now just a bunch of landmasses floating in the Twisted Nether. Ner'zhul abandoned the newly formed Outland in an attempt to escape the Alliance and the Burning Legion, hopping through the first portal he saw, leaving everyone else behind. Instead, he ended up right in the Burning Legion's hands, never again to know freedom. As for the Alliance, they found themselves on a planet breaking apart, and in an honorable act used the last of their own magic to shut the Dark Portal down stranding them in Outland. Even today, statues of those heroes line the walkway up to Stormwind, even as some of those heroes have not only returned home, but now lead the Alliance once more. And before I go here today, I do want to point out one interesting and potentially fun piece of lore. There are actually more landmasses as part of Draenor than we even see in Warlords, mostly. For one, the island of Farhalan sits to the northeast, and is that place I mentioned that is the ancestral home of the ogres. Just above Gorgond, and as I mentioned, this mostly became part of Netherstorm, but it was actually a really large landmass, probably about the same size as what is now Shadowmoon Valley. So it's entirely possible that there is more of it out there, and there are more ogres. Um, 
Blizzard, if you're listening, that's a perfect way to introduce the ogres as a playable class. Wink wink, nudge nudge, know what I mean, know what I mean? Likewise, there is a rather large island about the size of half of Hellfire Peninsula that players know all too well as Ashran. However, in the normal timeline, this was a place called Deathwing's Lair and was where Neltharion called home while on Draenor. Legend says that it was razed to the ground during the Alliance invasion, but given how much the legacy and legend of Deathwing seems to be reappearing lately, it could be entirely possible that floating out there in the Twisting Nether, potentially within sight and scope of the Void Lords, is a place that the former Earth Warder once called home and is waiting for someone else to ring the doorbell once more. Next time on Essence of Azeroth, we've waited long enough. You've heard the stories of Outland, its people, its raids, its legacy. Now we're edging closer to the end of the season. On the next episode, we'll talk about Maiev's Shadow Song, Illidan's Storm Rage, and the invasion of the Black Temple. Take care. It wasn't a puppy! I'm <laughs> <laughs>